0: You're listening to DraftKings Network.
1: Welcome into another edition of Mystery Crate. I'm Chris Whittingham, joined this week by Tom Haberstrow who is going to present what is now a theme here at Metal Ark Media and at Levitard and Friends, which is these kind of pieces, these essays that are built up by our immensely talented roster of reporters, writers, broadcasters. You've heard from Kate Fagan, you've heard from Howard Bryant, and you've heard from Tom Haberstroh as well uh, throughout the NBA playoffs. And You wanted to close with one more piece from Tom, and not only has he gone and done like a whole written thing, there's guests in this, this is like a full-on reported piece. And Tom, we'll welcome you in now. I'm sensing a theme here, because the last one you did was on Chris Paul, and this one is also about Chris Paul. Now, he happens to be going very far in the NBA playoffs, but is there perhaps a special connection between the two of you? We went to college together. It's a small school, so you kinda, uh,
0: Wake Forest University is like the second smallest D1 school in America. And so it
1: kind of feels like high school sometimes when you're a student there. I've actually been to Wake Forest before. I've, I've, I've visited the campus before. I love Wake Forest. Isn't it a beautiful campus? It's incredible. One of my favorite stops in the ACC. I probably went to like half the schools in my travels with the University of Miami. One of the best. I definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah, and one of the, the saddest days of me being a student was seeing Chris Paul like roll into campus with a brand new car because you know what that meant. He was going to the league. It's NBA time. And so it's always been a special place in my heart is understanding, you know, what happened after that is Chris Paul announces he's going to the NBA draft. He foregoes his junior and senior year and he doesn't become the number one pick. And I think a lot of people on campus expected him to be the number one pick. And of course, he has this amazing career and. I just, I've been fascinated by that story of Chris Paul, who dominated the ACC and was the number one team in the nation for a while. And he was on the cover of ESPN, the magazine, at this tiny school in the ACC. And I have always, in the back of my mind, wondered why Chris Paul didn't go number one or number two or number three in the 2005 draft. And so I kind of pitched it. I asked some people around me, you know, would this be an interesting story? And people took to it. So I I dug in, started reporting on it. I asked Andrew Bogut if he'd be game to talk about it. And this guy is game to talk about anything. Andrew Bogut, the number (laughs) one pick that year. So I kind of started peeling back the curtain and learning more about it. And what it told me was really, Chris, is like it's a look into the draft process and how you can fall prey to some of the cognitive biases or, you know, when you when you think you know a player and then you go and you meet him, you kind of have this, like, job interview thing that happens. And I think the Milwaukee Bucks, when they drafted Andrew Bogut, were just head over heels for this guy. But the other thing that happened was they didn't even – take a meeting with Chris Paul. So that kind of mystery to me, I always wanted to know what happened there. And so
1: I I embarked on this journey to find out. And we'll get to the piece in a second, but like, obviously as a Wick guy, you're probably, I would imagine something of a, Chris Paul Stan, right? You're probably always like kind of wondering, like, how come he didn't get his due? I kind of wondering now, obviously on the Levitard show, Stu Godz is always having a go at Chris Paul. He's kind of like the <laughs> avatar for Chris Paul criticism, but he's not really the only one, right? When you consider, you know, kind of his career arc going from not really being respected enough, and really, as Chad Ford will tell you in this piece, it probably comes down to his size, why he wasn't really respected properly. But even throughout his career, right, he's had these bizarre stops, all these forks in the road where could have gone to the Lakers he went through a terrible ownership situation in New Orleans went through a hurricane that displaced him to Oklahoma City then went actually to Oklahoma City had all these bizarre pairings and now has taken the Phoenix Suns to the NBA Finals how does this story that you're about to tell kind of fit within the narrative arc of his career
0: well that he's gotten I I don't think a fair shake in the media about why they keep falling short in the playoffs and I think a lot of the things that people attribute to Andrew Bogut or in the interview process to Andrew Bogut, they attribute to Chris Paul a lot of the same characteristics: and leadership, and maturity, and professionalism. All these things. And when someone loses in the tournament or loses in the playoffs routinely year after year, I think it lends itself to a certain narrative or a tidy little sentence about how he's a fraud or that he's always injured, and he's injured quite a bit, no doubt about it. But. I think we take it a little too far sometimes where we read into these wins and losses or injuries or luck on either side and have it reveal something about someone's inner character. Like, it's a reflection of whether he's a good person or whether he has that gene, that clutch gene, that playoff gene. And I think we're overwriting that on Chris Paul. So... You know, I think it's probably a little bit of that Napoleon complex that wake people have that where we're just kind of punching up all the time. And literally, Chris Paul is punching in this story um, that we're about to tell. And I feel like a lot of that, a lot of that feeling that you're counted out and people don't respect you, I think is part of the Chris Paul story. So Stu Gotts, when he says those things. I get it because it is kind of weird. It's strange for a guy that good at basketball to not win a title or make the conference finals until just a couple years ago. And now we're seeing, man, it is so hard to win a title and things are definitely on the precipice for him, like a 2-2 series things can go either way, and he is definitely in one of the
1: darker moments of this season, trying to crawl out of this bad Game 4. And we are recording this before Game 5. This will be published before Game 5 of the NBA Finals, so we hope uh, this story will last long enough for, for at least to be of interest to you. We, at the very least, we'll get to Tuesday in the NBA Finals, and so for me, Chris Paul is by far the most compelling character remaining in the NBA postseason. Obviously, Giannis is up there, but Chris Paul has just gone through so much in his career, and we're going to go all the way to the beginning. Tom Haberstro has reported a piece on how exactly he didn't become the number one overall pick in the NBA draft.
2: Friends, a lot has changed over the years, personally and across our airwaves, but one thing that hasn't the great taste of Miller Lite. So, what is the best thing about the original Lite beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house. And I brought some friends over and we enjoyed the best light beer because Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most, a light beer that tastes like beer, less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975, you don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.
3: With the first pick in the 2005 NBA draft, the Milwaukee Bucks select... Chris Paul?
0: When you watch the 2021 NBA Finals, don't forget about what happened on June 28, 2005 in New York City. Or I guess I should say, what didn't happen. No, the Milwaukee Bucks did not select Chris Paul number one overall in 2005. Instead, they went with Utah standout, the Australian big man, Andrew Bogut. But now, as Chris Paul and the Milwaukee Bucks battle for the title, it's important to remember that 16 years ago, the Bucks passed on Chris Paul, even though he, in some circles, was considered the best player in the draft, a six-foot point guard who dominated the ACC and showed a distinct mastery of the game. And looking back, I wanted to know why. Why did the Bucks pass on Chris Paul? And not just them, why a bunch of teams did. Paul didn't go number one, number two, or number three. He would slide to fourth, where the New Orleans Hornets picked him. The three teams ahead of New Orleans, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Utah, who traded up to take Portland's spot, decided Paul was not the right guy. Atlanta, at number two, took UNC reserve Marvin Williams. And at three, Utah was so confident that Paul wasn't the best point guard in the draft that they traded their sixth pick, their 27th pick, and a future first rounder to Portland so they could grab Illinois point guard Darren Williams. Of course, Paul would go on to have a Hall of Fame career and appear on twice as many All-NBA teams as the rest of the 2005 draft class combined. Though Chris Paul versus Darren Williams was a thing a decade ago, it's clear now that CP was by far the best player of that draft. So why did the Bucks feel Bogut was the right number one pick? There were obvious pluses here. A skilled 7-footer who won Naismith Player of the Year at Utah and held his own as a teenager against Tim Duncan in the 2004 Olympics in Athens. But it's not quite that simple. Two days after winning the lottery in 2005, Milwaukee Bucks GM Larry Harris told reporters that they were considering three players, Andrew Bogut, Marvin Williams, and Chris Paul. Initially, Paul was in the running, but soon after that, he was crossed off the list. Why? Why? Well, there's more to this story than just basketball. The man that made the decision for the Bucks was their GM, Larry Harris, who is now in the Golden State Warriors front office as the director of player personnel. I wanted to know, what was the process behind that pick? Did they know Bogut was the guy all along, or did something happen that separated him from the pack? And let's back up here for a second. The Bucks getting the number one pick was a story in of itself. After finishing with 30 wins, the Bucks only had a 6.3% chance of getting the top prize. But Harris brought some lucky charms to the draft lottery night, a fishing lure and a bracelet given by Bucks fans. On lottery night, they jumped past five teams to get number one overall. Here's Harris on what that was like.
4: I remember the win when they finally called. Now the Milwaukee Bucks have a number one pick. I remember my nerves. I remember shaking so much. I was like, wow. I never really thought about Oh, the impact of what the number one check would be, or the pressure, was I going to get it right, or were we going to get it right? It was just, I really felt almost the whole state of Wisconsin, certainly the city of Milwaukee, is like, you know what, this is a great thing for them. I didn't feel it was a burden, I just felt like we needed to get it right.
0: Even now, Harris brings up that Bogut draft when he talks to Warriors decision makers like GM
4: Bob Myers. I tell Bob Myers this all the time, everybody's like, hey, if I had the number one pick, I know what I would do. And until you're in that position, you have to make that selection. It's a little nerve wracking just to make sure you, you want to make sure you pick the right guy.
0: So how did the Bucks ensure that they would pick the right guy? They started with their list of six prospects because they were expecting to go sixth in the draft. And from there, they started to whittle it down from 6 to 5 to 4, and eventually they landed at 3. On May 28th, a month before the draft, Harris told the Kenosha News that Chris Paul was being considered for the number one pick, but Paul's candidacy disappeared soon after. The question is, why? Well, there are a bunch of factors. For one, Harris felt the Bucks were set in the backcourt, which... In hindsight, seems ridiculous looking back, but the Bucks had TJ Ford, also a small point guard, but someone who had back issues that sidelined him for the entire 04-05 season. Also, he was their lottery pick just two years prior, so it's rare to see teams go with a similar player so soon in the draft. They also had Charlie Bell and Mo Williams, who averaged 10 and 6 the prior season. And then there was Michael Redd, who was the breakout star of the team, a shooting guard looking for a max contract.
4: We literally have four guards on the roster, and all the ages of 22 to 26. So I've always felt you take the best player, but if it's close, you got to look at me. It was close on all of them, but then when Andrew came in, his interview and his process and his approach to what the number one pick meant, it was a slam dunk in big
0: time. A slam dunk interview. From Bogut's camp, a slam dunk interview was all part of the plan. At the outset of the draft process, Andrew Bogut's agent, David Bauman, came up with a strategy. Treat this draft process like a job interview at a big time bank or prestigious law firm. That will win him over. Here's Bogut.
3: Before the lottery, we we basically hand wrote a letter to all, most of the teams in the lottery. At least the ones that I liked and wanted to go to about eight or nine teams. Wrote them a letter saying, "Good luck in the lottery. Wish you all the best." And that went down really well. Like my agent got calls from them, like we've never seen this ever. We put together a strategy of showing up to these draft workouts and meetings as a business interview, right? So. My agent helped me and we grew up a resume, a full on, like it was a job interview, right? So when I showed up for the meetings with both teams, with the GMs and the owners, I put a prepared resume out on the table for him to read. I showed up in a suit and tie and treated it like a, like a job interview, right? And I knew that, we knew that a lot of other guys wouldn't do that. And, and it worked the treat because Senator Cole was the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, former politician, former senator of uh, Wisconsin. So we knew kind of, well, I, I didn't, I can't take credit for it. My agent knew that that would play a big part in just that human to human contact and, and, and relationship and it, it worked.
0: Yeah, I'd say it worked all right.
4: Not that it matters what you wear. Came okay. in, suit, tie. We sit down across from the table, he sit down and of hands me basically a three or four page pamphlet saying why I'm the number one pick and listed out every reason why, like, here you go. And so when you sat down with him, he's like, I'm here to be the number one pick. That's why I'm here. If you don't want to take me, fine. But here's, I mean, it basically was a professional interview. But Andrew, his approach to the workout was if he still had his suit on.
0: And that was it. The Bucks knew right then and there that they found their guy.
4: There's a certain agents that will kind of prep their player a little bit more. I haven't seen a resume thing before. That was unique, but I have seen people, the attire that they wear matters. Like, hey, I remember Malcolm Brogdon coming in when we interviewed him. Like, okay, hey, this is real. I'm going to show you. Like, I'm corporate America, and I'm here. I'm serious.
0: In this case, the corporate America strategy sealed the deal. The Bucks kept Marvin Williams in the running as a sort of a smokescreen. The thinking was they'd get more trade offers if teams weren't convinced they were taking Bogut. But the die was cast. The Bucks decided not to bring in Chris Paul or Darren Williams even for a workout or just a meeting. Bogut's Corporate America strategy had paid off.
4: It so, made an impact on us. I'll say that. The thing with Andrew that just really sold it to us was his IQ time is as good as any player I've ever, ever, ever been with. When I talked to Andrew, I was literally talking to point. I literally could have been talking to Chris Paul.
1: Oh my gosh. Folks.
0: Let's say the Bucs don't essentially stop the draft process right there. And let's say they bring in Chris Paul for a workout and interview. Would they be just as smitten with Chris Paul? Because the IQ stuff, the professionalism, all those characteristics that convinced the Bucs that Bogut was their guy, a lot of those same traits have been attached to Chris Paul over the years. This guy was voted the president of the NBA Players Union, a position Paul knew well because he was also the class president of West Forsyth High School. Chris Paul's agent at the time, Lance Young, who works as the VP of Excel Management now, he thought getting Paul in front of teams in the draft process was going to be key.
5: And I think when you when you meet Chris, and you know, Chris and I are still friends till this day, 15 years later, he was just a guy. He, he spoke well. He demanded respect and could capture your attention. And, and when he walked into a room, you knew he was there. He had the charisma even at, you know, 19 or 20 years old, but his competitiveness and his grit and, you know, just his work ethic was going to be second to none. So I think getting him in front of teams, our goal was just for people to get to know Chris Paul a little bit more and show he was going to be the most competitive player out there. And and that was something that we knew was going to go a long way in these GM and scouts minds.
0: And Paul never got that chance to prove to Milwaukee he should be the number one pick. And Paul's agent, Lance Young, initially thought he'd have a good chance to be number one.
5: Every kid who's a lottery pick probably wants to be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, It's such an honor. So, yeah, that was our goal. But I, I think as everything played out, he probably wanted to go play for Charlotte, number one, and then being number one in the draft was 1A or 1B. It's obvious now that
0: Chris Paul was the best player of the draft. In his career, he's accumulated the 10th most win shares in NBA history, according to basketball reference, and yielding nearly more value at number four than Andrew Bogut, Marvin Williams, and Darren Williams combined. But look, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback this thing and say it was obvious at the time that Paul was the right pick at number one. So I asked my esteemed colleague, Amin El-Hassan, who worked in the Phoenix Suns front office for years, and wondered what he and the Suns thought of CP. And turns out, I didn't realize where Amin was in his basketball career at that point. Whew!
6: 2005, I was working for the Knicks in basketball operations. I was an intern. And uh, my memory of that time was all the scout meetings that we had throughout the year. Because teams will do this, teams will have get all the scouts together, and we'll talk about who's your top ten or top whatever in the draft, top players in the draft. This isn't really a mock draft. You don't, you're not really guessing what other people are gonna do. You're just saying, hey, these are my favorite players in the draft. My memory is that most everybody had Bogut number one. That was as consensus as consensus gets. Which, by the way, wasn't out of the ordinary because if you look at all the mock drafts and all the stuff from around that time that was available to the public is Bogut was the number one prospect. The one person who I remember steadfast every single time had a different number one was Isaiah Thomas who of course was the president of Basketball Ops for us at the time. Isaiah had Chris Paul number one. And I won't lie you know this is young Amin so I'm thinking to myself look let me just say right now like players who turned their front office People tend to have like a soft spot or an affinity for players that remind them of themselves. And I thought that was what was happening with Isaiah. I thought Isaiah saw a lot of himself in Chris Paul as undersized guard, very tough, very scrappy, but extremely intelligent and very skilled. I thought that's what Isaiah was seeing, like ghosts of his past. But credit to him. He saw, he knew that that was the best player in the draft that year.
0: And here's what's even crazier about that Isaiah thing. Back when I first started out as an NBA analyst at ESPN back in 2009, I created a draft database called the Draft Initiative. And yes, Lost fans, I'll have you know it was a shout out to the Dharma Initiative. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. The Draft Initiative analyzed the career value of every draft pick of the past two decades. And through that number crunching, I determined the expected benchmarks for each draft slot, 1 through 60. And that spun off all kinds of juicy articles like the best and worst pick at every slot. And one of the things I looked at was the best GM on draft night. Statistically, which GM had outperformed their draft slot created more value out of their opportunities than any other GM? The answer stunned me and everyone else in the research room in Bristol. The best performing GM on draft night was Isaiah Thomas. In Toronto, he just nailed his picks, finding Tracy McGrady at number nine, Damon Stoudemire at number seven, Marcus Camby was a really solid number two pick. But then in New York, he found Trevor Reza at number 43, two-time all-star David Lee at number 30 in the 2005 draft, Wilson Chandler at 23, Nate Robinson at 21. I mean, he had hits and home runs all over the place as a scout. And in the end, Isaiah's average pick was the 23rd draft slot, but the talent he found was more like picking at sixth every year. And yes, Isaiah Thomas's record on sexual harassment at the workplace and other GM duties with the Knicks and his tenure running the CBA into the ground—not great to say the least. But now it makes sense that Isaiah predicted Chris Paul's Hall of Fame career. I talked to Chad Ford, who runs NBA newsletter and Chad Ford's NBA BigBoard podcast. He covered the draft for ESPN for over a decade. And here's what he had to say about Isaiah's draft prowess.
7: That doesn't surprise me because one, he's right. Isaiah Thomas was an excellent talent evaluator. Everything else about Isaiah was extremely problematic as a front office person. But as a talent evaluator, you know, I talked to Isaiah multiple times before uh, drafts and he had a really keen eye for talent. And I think that you're also right about the fact that Isaiah could project himself into Chris Paul. There was a lot of similarities between the two. And as Isaiah guaranteed felt like if he were in the NBA in 2005, he would still be the superstar that he was in the eighties. Like, you know, I'm sure he had that level of confidence and swagger. And so, you know, him seeing himself a bit in Chris Paul and not going to diminish him based off of his size, that that makes perfect sense to me that the Knicks would have selected him number one, if they would have had the shot.
0: Now, Ford didn't have Chris Paul number one on his draft board. He was big on Marvin Williams and admittedly became enthralled with Marvin's untapped potential compared to Paul, whose size held him back. You know, one of the interesting things for me, Tom, is you know, I was just
7: thinking about this, watching Chris Paul play in the finals. Chris isn't nearly as athletic as he was 15 years, or 16 years ago. And he's just as small as he was 16 years ago, though he certainly added strength. his frame i think one thing that chris paul did really well is he continued to get stronger and and he he, physically he's a very strong player but he clearly doesn't have the explosion and the you know speed and quickness that that he once did and we were worried about his lack of size 16 years ago the league has gotten bigger it's gotten taller you have more versatile wings you have bigger guards than you had even sort of 15 years ago roaming around the nba and here is Chris Paul still imposing his will on the game 16 years later. Like we, we just, and I'm one of them, just bungled this analysis that somehow his, his lack of elite size was going to affect him in the league. It's, he's still dominant as a player 16 years later, and he doesn't have the same pop athletically that he once did. That,
0: that to me is really remarkable. When I look back at how the media covered the 2005 draft – What stands out to me is how many people were readily acknowledging that Paul was the best player in the class. Bill Simmons at ESPN.com wrote in his 2005 draft diary, Utah takes Darren Williams at number three. Perfect pick. With some luck, he'll be half as good as Chris Paul. Later on, he'd write, New Orleans happily grabs Chris Paul with the fourth pick, partly because he's the best player in the draft and partly because he's one of four people in this draft who could handle playing in New Orleans. At draftexpress.com, Jonathan Gavoni, who is now at ESPN, gave New Orleans an A, writing, quote, possibly the best player in this draft in Chris Paul fell right into their lap at number four, and New Orleans gobbled him up as they should have. Andrew Bogut himself was thinking Paul should have gotten more love heading into the draft. I asked Bogut whom he thought could have been number one if it wasn't going to be him.
3: I thought Chris Paul would have been in the mix. Not just saying that now because his career, but it was tough in college, you know. And and we went to the awards nights, and he was part of the awards nights. He was a contender for all the awards with myself, A Smith, and all that kind of stuff, and the Wooden. And I thought he'd have a genuine chance, but yeah, I was surprised that he kind of he kind of slipped that that far down. I thought he'd be he should have been in the conversation with myself Marvin really. Instead, Bogut
0: went number one overall. Atlanta shocked many people by taking Marvin Williams at number two. And in 2019, Chris Paul told the Houston Chronicle that he actually had gotten up when David Stern was announcing the Atlanta pick because he was so sure he was going there. He even zeroed in on a house in Gwinnett County. Instead, the Hawks passed and started Royal Ivy at point guard the next season. Utah took Darren and then... With the
1: fourth pick in the 2004 NBA draft, the New Orleans Hornets select Chris Paul from Wake Forest University.
0: Did you catch that? David Stern's mess up there? Listen again.
1: With the fourth pick in the 2004 NBA draft.
0: Yeah, 2004 draft. Until this NBA Finals, Chris Paul himself never picked up on
5: it. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, actually, my fiance and I were watching that video last week, and it was brought to my attention on Instagram, and I watched it. And still didn't pick up on it and had never picked up on it on the last 15 or 16 years. And my fiance said, man, I thought Chris was drafted in 2005. I said he was. Well, David Stern just said 2004. And it's funny that you just found that out as well and noticed it. I sent it to Chris and his brother CJ. Neither one of them had ever noticed it as well. And Chris said that he had watched it a hundred times. And that was the first time he had realized that David Stern had said the wrong year.
0: That draft night misstep was trivial compared to Bogut's misstep later that night. I asked Bogut if there was a big celebration afterwards. And uh, here's what he said.
3: Oh, no, I partied. I played my family. My well, family from Australia and Croatia were there. And there was actually a friend of mine who I worked out with pre-draft. His name was Drago Pasalic. He was a Croatian kid. He was kind of late second, if drafted at all. And, and he didn't get drafted, so it was a pretty dismal night for him. But I respected him because he came and partied with me anyway. But, yeah, I, I, was, I was messed up that night. Like, I um, <laughs> almost, almost died on the way back to the hotel after the party, luckily, because I, I was crossing the road on a red and my sister kind of grabbed me because I was that messed up and almost got hit by a taxi. So that, that would have been an early career ender for the number one pick. But <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah, your sister
0: so, just saved your life on draft night?
3: Essentially, yeah, oh, yeah, maybe hospital, worst case, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, New York taxi drivers drive too, so yeah, just went straight by me, she grabbed me, and then waking up that next morning was a big problem because I I think I had a 10 a.m. flight on a private jet to Milwaukee to go and meet everybody, and man, I, I was I was I was barely out of bed at nine in New York, so <laughs> it was uh, and it was a very messy room after after I'd left it. I can tell you that.
0: So after how the draft night went down, I wondered if Chris Paul had it out for Bogut, or had a Bogut-sized chip on his shoulder every time he played the Australian big man.
3: I think Chris has a chip on his shoulder whenever he plays. We were part of, I was part of the Golden State revamp where the Clippers used to own us when I first got there. And it was, they just used to physically impose their will on us, DeAndre and Blake, and then Chris Paul kind of treated Steph somewhat like the commercial that he did with him, the insurance commercial, where it was like his little brother. And it was kind of like a real life version of that. And I know that pissed Steph off. And then it was kind of funny because Chris used to kind of somewhat try and mentor Steph, like that's my guy. And then Steph started beating the shit out of him and that that table turned. So yeah, but I think Chris has, has a chip on his shoulder for the most part. Whenever he's on the court, I don't think it's anything to do with where he went in the draft. I think it's just, that's how he plays a game. Even in college, you know, he's punching people in the nuts and doing all kinds of things. He's, he's just that kind of guy.
0: So the Julius Hodge thing, if I'm being fair here, we should probably talk about that. So just before the ACC tournament, Paul hit NC State star Julius Hodge below the belt and got suspended for the opening game of the ACC tournament, which Wake Forest lost, which in turn meant they wouldn't be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which in turn gave him a harder road in the postseason. And as a number two seed, Wake lost to West Virginia in double overtime in the second round. Now Paul would later apologize for the incident and he said NC State fans were taunting him about his late grandfather and he got caught up in it. And still, I I can't help but wonder if directly or indirectly that punch could have made Paul slide in the draft and it wasn't attributed to something like a suit and tie trick or a fancy cover letter that did it. In some alternate universe, a number one seed in the tournament may mean an eventual number one pick for Paul. Or maybe people just didn't like the cheap shot and subliminally lowered him on draft boards. So I raised the Julius Hodge factor to Chad Ford, and Ford had nothing in his notes about it. It was so off his radar that he forgot about the entire incident altogether until I refreshed his memory about it.
7: It didn't come up in any of my notes. That's why I didn't didn't remember. I'm remembering it now that you're talking about it, but it wasn't in any of the notes that I had about him. So I don't think there were character concerns about Chris Paul. I think that size was by far the biggest issue. I I see it coming up again and again in my notes. Do you take a little guard? I mean, you know, he was in direct comparison with Darren Williams, who is bigger and more physical, but didn't have the sort of court vision and sort of feel for the game that, you know, Chris Paul did. You know, what, what is interesting is how many scouts said uh, and I was just kind of looking through my notes. He's the best point guard prospect since Jason Kidd. So on a talent basis, that was very, very high praise. You know, at the time that he was the best pure point guard prospect since Jason Kidd. I, I see that over and over again. So it's not that scouts were downgrading him. That I actually think that if I was just reading the tea leaves on the scouting reports.
0: The most glowing scouting report of anybody in this draft was Chris Paul. The suit and tie thing seemed to be more impactful than it should have.
7: I will say that, you know, that anecdote about Andrew Bogut, I've, I've heard these types of anecdotes all the time. And I've been doing the draft for a long time. And I would say if two things are, for the most part, pretty meaningless, it's little stumps like that about coming in, doing a resume, wearing a suit, you know, all of that stuff coming in to the interview process. You can be coached to do that. A, a good agent can tell you how to prepare. You know, maybe the player is clever. I don't think it actually translates much to what's going to happen on the basketball court. And, you know, I, I famously, as, as of others, have been burned by, you know, great workouts, especially when a guy like Bogut is working out in a gym, you know, one on none. Uh, those can be highly misleading. Some of the best workouts I've ever witnessed, and I've I've witnessed some really incredible ones, have been complete non-players in the NBA. And so, you know, those are the sorts of things that I, I think are sort of interesting. Often when you hear teams get a pick wrong, there will be an anecdote like that sort of attached to it. They came in, they I know they couldn't shoot in college, but they shot the lights out in our workout, or they came in, they were so professional, they had something prepared, they gave this great answer to this question or whatever. And this is what's so fascinating to me about the draft, Tom, is that there's all of these human emotions that are involved in all of this. And as human beings, we can be really bad at sort of evaluating all the evidence that's out there objectively. And our emotions get involved in in really powerful ways, as do mine, and they often really color what can be obvious afterwards, after the fact, about, you know, sort of how we miss things. And so, you know, those are actually really interesting sort of red flags for me when you're talking about a guy that went number one, that shouldn't have gone number one, about why they went number one. He went number one for the wrong reasons.
0: And let's be clear about one thing. Regardless of what happened on draft night, there's no love lost between Bogut and Paul, or at least from Bogut's perspective.
3: I know definitely. I don't like him as a person. Um, <laughs> I think he feels the same way. So, but yeah, I definitely respect. I can I can separate not liking a person, whether it be athletically or whatever it is, even political views. I can separate all that to their body of work in in said industry. Right, and Chris is one of the best at it. You know, he's. A phenomenal leader. He's got a very high basketball IQ, which I appreciate very much. And he just knows how to play the game and gets it done. And he's um yeah, he's been he's been fun to watch, especially this these finals, considering considering that he's doing it at 36, 37 years old. That's probably the most amazing part out of all this, because I know I know just getting out of bed for me at the moment's hard at times.
0: And let's not get it twisted. Andrew Bogut had a really good NBA career. All-NBA one season, an NBA champion, led the league in blocks, made the all-defensive team for the Warriors, but even Bogut admits he's not so sure he would have been a top 5 pick on a 2005 redraft. He was certainly not a bust, not on the level of Anthony Bennett or Michael Candy or Andrea Bargnani, far from it. But the fact that Paul fell to number 4 because of size concerns, that may seem preposterous now as Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, and yes, Chris Paul himself, are dominating the league. We also have to remember how the league was back then. It was still the land of giants, and the idea that guards could rule the land still hadn't taken hold, even if Steve Nash did win the 2005 MVP. Remember, Tim Duncan and Shaq won six of the previous seven titles, and seven of the previous eight number one picks were all bigs. Names like Yao Ming, Kwame Brown, and Dwight Howard, like giant redwoods. So maybe it did take a small Hall of Famer like Isaiah Thomas to see the forest through the trees. So whether it was the corporate America strategy, the size issue, or the Julius Hodge incident that meant Milwaukee and a few other teams passed on Chris Paul, he's still a Hall of Famer, still one of the best point guards ever, and even perhaps an NBA champion. And I guess if Isaiah really saw that in Chris Paul. You know, he could have traded up to get him. And hey, Chris Paul could be a free agent this summer. And guess who needs a point guard? That's right, the New York Knicks. 16 years later, maybe the Knicks can finally get Chris Paul on their team. Hey, better late than never, right? For Metal Arc Media, I'm Tom Haberstroh.
1: I didn't exactly have Andrew Bogut's post draft smash party uh being the star of that but he told some incredible anecdotes and that Andrew Bogut for me the star of this show but kind of goes to show really the I would say there's kind of a trope in the draft process every year Tom which is that there's always like one or two guys whether it's the NFL draft or the NBA draft or everyone goes well Obviously he's gonna be a great player. And it felt like Chris Paul developed that, but the draft process, the way that it works, the interviews, the workouts, all the extracurricular stuff, and as you as you mentioned in the piece, kind of cognitive biases get in the way of really what felt like an obvious choice, both then and in retrospect. Yeah,
0: and again, as I as I mentioned in the piece, hindsight twenty twenty, like we look back now and oh, it's obvious that Chris Paul was gonna be the best player, but I think it also speaks to what we're going to see in the next 2 weeks. The NBA draft is coming up here in the next 2 weeks. Is keep this in mind is, you know, in a COVID era, a pandemic era, a lot of these snapshots that we get in pl- of players in draft interview process and in and in, in workouts, like be careful. Like that is a very small sample size. It's probably smarter to look at the full body of work uh, and in the case of Chris Paul, As we just found out, he didn't even get a chance to meet with the Milwaukee Bucks. So it's a big what-if. Maybe Chris Paul, if he had went to the Milwaukee Bucks, Chris, maybe they have already won championships together. And that's the real story here is the what-if Chris Paul landed with the Bucks.
1: This might not be uh, the same matchup here in the NBA Finals. And who knows what kind of – I mean, in a sliding doors way – Everything in Milwaukee Bucks history to the change in ownership we hear from or about center Herb Cole in there, uh, and and the change in ownership. How much has changed the franchise? So much could have gone differently if not for Chris Paul being drafted first overall in the 05 NBA draft. Tom, this is great stuff. Thanks for doing it. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. This is great to be on Mystery Crate.
2: Friends, a lot has changed over the years personally and across our airwaves. But one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and we still haven't settled it. You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house and I brought some friends over and we enjoyed the best light beer because Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality. Great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories, the original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best.